Welcome to the Savings Guru podcast. Today I'm joined by Mark Rice from Our I Am Bank. Mark's the head of savings. Uh, head of product management. Head of product management. Even better. It's really good to have you on today because I'm I'm really interested and I know there's an increasing interest in, in finding out more about uh, Sharia banking uh, and obviously you're one of the few in in the UK that, that are doing it. Perhaps you could sort of kick us off and tell us a little bit more about the history of LRAM Bank and how they started in the in the UK and what was the what was the kind of decision to come to the market. Yeah, well, firstly, thanks for uh, asking me here today. You're welcome. Um, so LRAM Bank um, actually is quite an established bank. So we uh, started in two thousand and four. Um, we actually started as Islamic Bank of Britain. And I think the guiding principle of the bank originally um, was to establish a bank that's based on the Islamic faith. Um, so you may or may not know that in Islam you can't pay interest, you can't pay or receive interest. And the the founders of the bank wanted effectively to create a bank for people that wanted to follow the Islamic faith. Although the reality is we, we don't see ourselves as a bank exclusively for Muslims. As far as we're concerned, we're a bank for anyone of any faith or none. So like I said, that started about 2004. We subsequently were taken over by Mashraf Al Ryan around about 2014, rebranded to Al Ryan Bank. Uh, and that really is probably the bank that most people, uh, certainly outside of the Muslim faith, would be aware of. That's the bank that appears in the Best Buy tables. Yeah. I do remember the old Islamic yeah. Bank of Britain day. I've got to say, your new branding is a lot better than the uh, than the old one. The, the old branding was uh, eye-catching, to yeah. say the least. <laughs> you touched on a, a bit of it there. I mean, the, the biggest difference is around the you know the the not being able to pay interest, yeah. and you you pay what's called expected profit rate. Uh, now I know I know to all intents and, and purposes to savers who read the Best Buy tables that will look very much like one and the same thing but there are differences yeah. can, you, can you explain a bit more about how that that works and what yeah. those differences are so in islam money itself is not a commodity yeah so if you think what interest is from a conventional bank effectively you're lending your deposit to the bank and they're paying you for the use of that money yeah and th- that isn't permissible in islam so whilst you can earn a return on money the money itself is not a commodity you can earn a return on so the difference is with an Islamic bank is that when you deposit with an Islamic bank, you are effectively becoming a partner with the bank. The bank will invest that money in a tangible asset. For us, that's the majority is property. The bank will obviously earn a profit on that property investment and effectively we will share that profit with the customer. Yeah. So the key difference you get is that uh, what we quoted an expected profit rate because obviously profit is not guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, so what this means in theory, we might actually pay less than the rate that we publish. The reality is we've never done that. The flip side is also true that every now and then what actually happens is that we make more profit and we actually pay a better return than the return that we've uh, highlighted to customers. So this is the, the key difference is that whilst you still get a return, it's not guaranteed there are lots of measures we have in place to ensure that we will always be able to guarantee that return. So we only invest in low risk assets. They're all, all of our investments are backed by tangible, tangible assets like a property. And then we have mechanisms like a profit stabilization reserve. So the bank will put some of its profit into a reserve account that we could use if we had to, to go to um, 
enable us to hit that expected profit rate. And of course the bank could just choose to forego some of its profit if it wanted to. Uh, but that's really the big difference is that obviously it's an expected profit rate. We can't guarantee the profit rate we're offering. But you do also offer, I've, I've seen a, a, a kind of guarantee that uh, if if you take say a fixed term yeah. bond, that if you can't meet the expected profit rate, um, that you will pay out up until a certain yeah. certain point at the at the rate that you yeah. So again, it's it's not a guarantee of the profit rate. So it, so there's a difference in the conventional market. A fixed term bond will guarantee an interest rate for a period of time. Uh, what we're guaranteeing with our fixed term bonds is the term. Yeah. So again, it's an expected profit rate. If we can't achieve that profit rate throughout the period, at the point that we know we can't achieve it, we give you the option to take your deposit back with all profit earned to date. We would also publish what we expect it to be in the future. And if you want to retain your money there, then you can do that as well. But again, you know, the reality is it is a, it's not a guaranteed rate, but again, we've never failed to pay the rate because it's invested into low risk assets. You know, we can be fairly sure that the, the profit rate that we select is a profit rate we can reasonably achieve. One of the things I've seen relatively recently is you, you've you've come into the easy access yeah. market as well. So you've kind of been quite well known in our best buy tables yeah. for, for some time on fixed rate bonds. But you um, you launched towards the end of last year with a fairly eye-catching uh, easy access rate, uh, which sadly is gone. But you still have the, the, the product and you're still competing in, in those market what yeah. what was the decision behind that what made you sort of come to the market with an so, easy access product as a bank we we'd always been strong in notice accounts we'd always been strong in fixed term deposits i think they were relatively easy markets to kind of break into uh, and as a small bank we didn't necessarily need the you know the, the amount of deposits that meant we had to be competing in all markets at all times i think the reality is ourselves and certainly other providers, um, the fixed term market, while still a strong market, has probably not been as strong. I think, you know, with low interest rates in across the market, uncertainty over Brexit, what might happen with the economy, I think consumers have certainly begun to opt a bit more to go into instant access, see what happens and then, you know, maybe go into more longer term products at future date. And really with that everyday saver, it was Again, not a market we competed in, so we thought we'd give it a try as we were kind of coming into a market that we felt we weren't necessarily well known in. Uh, obviously, we thought we would have to go out with a decent rate to try and get a bit of publicity, a bit of brand awareness. Happily, it well, it went a lot better than we thought it would in all honesty. So obviously, it lasted for about six to seven weeks and then we had to take the rate away. Obviously, the customers that secured that rate are still earning that profit rate so really for us it was just a kind of tentative steps into a slightly different market to the one that we've been used to previously another thing that's i found really interesting about yourselves is that most of the the new entrants that come to market and the, the so-called challenger banks tend to pick a um a fairly small niche so they they'll be online only or you can open by um online but you've got telephone service there uh, you're, you're quite unique in that You've uh, got an offering across most channels. You've yeah. post, yeah. you've got a branch network, you've got a telephone, you've got online, you've even got an app. I know that's going under more yeah. development at the moment. But uh, what what was your, your your sort of thinking behind having such a wide wide proposition? Well, again, I think this goes back to 
the fact that you know we now see ourselves as an established bank. Um, so the bank started in 2004. We're 15 years old last year. When the bank uh, started, it's not to say there weren't online-only banks. There were, but they were kind of the exception rather than necessarily the norm. So when the, the founders started the bank, it just seemed, I guess, logical you know, to be online, to have a branch presence, tactical branch presence for us. Obviously, it's in the communities that we kind of serve. And then post and telephony, it just seemed the obvious thing to do at the time. And we still maintain all of those distribution channels. And when we launch a product, right at the moment, we kind of see no need to differentiate between the channels. You did say that, obviously, we're rebuilding some of our digital absolutely obviously we do see that as an important way to um get to the wider market you know we have our distribution channels and we're happy to use them happy for people to engage with us whichever way they choose to be honest with you i did uh, did smile when i saw you open a, a very um plush looking branch opposite yeah. harrods when uh, when they still had a, a bank i mean yeah. that that branch specifically that's that's the knightsbridge branch and obviously yeah. being uh, a qatari owned bank yeah. uh, we kind of leveraged the mashraf al parent company in Qatar so we kind of leverage a small proportion of their client base and that branch really in Knightsbridge is to serve those sort of Qatari Arab customers. I was reading I think some of your your press release around the annual results saying what it was over 70 percent of your savers yeah. are not Islamic I think it's often perceived in the savings market that the expected profit rate rather than guaranteed interest rate can can be a bit of a bit of a barrier but you've you've had some fairly uh impressive numbers of yeah. of, of both balances and and customer numbers so ha, ha, have you found it difficult or is that something that's come more recently uh, that you've you've overcome that or is it still a challenge to get savers to appreciate the difference and, and not be put off i think when we were islamic bank of britain I mean, we were definitely seen as very much a niche bank. It was probably some a, a bridge too far for maybe non-Muslim customers. That's not to say that we didn't have non-Muslim customers in, in the earlier days. The reality is, is that obviously we, we don't see ourselves as a bank exclusively for Muslims. So I think from about 2013, 14 onwards, we've certainly, I think, made great steps with the brand and the way we kind of communicate with the market. It can sometimes be an initial barrier, but the reality is when you kind of talk to clients, when you, you know, when they understand that, um, you know, we've never not achieved the profit rate, it becomes much less of a barrier. And as you say yourself, recent kind of FTD launches that we've done fixed term bonds uh, and certainly everyday saver, you know, we were seeing 80, 90% of customers, probably not Muslim customers. You know, I think we've managed to kind of get over that issue with the market in general but it is you know it's an education piece it's constant work we have to do just to kind of keep reminding people of it i think we can kind of show that once we can certainly contact with the customer and engage with the customer then it doesn't really become much of an issue for them i guess also yeah from the easy access account perspective for for a saver it's it that the risk isn't isn't there because if you were to say actually we can't meet the yeah to profit rate you haven't had to, to have that conversation in 16 years but if that were to change actually the fact is easy access would mean that we'll say there is there's no risk exactly. just takes the money yeah. can just say okay 
thanks very much for letting me know. I'll take, I'll take the money out and go somewhere. And this is why we have to manage the profit rates, you know, as closely as we do, because we're well aware that, you know, if we ever had to have that conversation, and like I say, we haven't yet. And, yeah. you know, I don't expect we'll have to in the future, but it's a kind of a sharpener for us. Yes. You know, so we, we need to be able to manage it. So from a saver's perspective, yeah. actually, that's a, that's a, a, a positive thing that de-risks it, but actually it should also be seen as a, a kind of a, a vote of confidence that the fact that you have gone there because if you weren't confident with your yeah. rates obviously that would be a really bad thing if exactly everyone did up and take yeah. the money out of yeah. the easy access account and yeah, yeah. and go yeah yeah so we've sort of talked a little bit about you know you've expanded into to different products and the, the journey you've been on is there anything coming down the the pipeline anything on your product roadmap if you like that you're um, you're working on that uh, that you can talk about that uh that might be coming for savers in the near future? We have an extensive product roadmap and um, savings accounts are always under review. We look to try and innovate wherever we can and we do have one or two possible lines in the fire, but unfortunately... You're not able to tell Not them. able to talk about them right at this point oh. in time, So, but we'll make sure you're, you're the first to know when we uh, come, up, come to market with something. Brilliant. I'll hold you to that. We'll have to have you back for that. Yeah. I guess one one thing I always ask uh, of all guests that come on the on the show is if you were if you were Chancellor of the Exchequer for a, a day, would there be anything that you would do to the to the savings market to change things to um, to to improve things for savers? Is there anything you'd like to see come in from the Treasury? We've got a budget coming up soon, yeah. so ideal opportunity. Well, I'll take I'll take a, a slight liberty here, so I'll <laughs> give you two answers. Oh, that's fine. Um, I like tea. Tea's yeah, better than none. Exactly. Um, so not specifically around savings, but the, the Islamic finance industry in the UK has actually been very well supported by governments of all colours. And I think they understand the benefit that it brings to the UK economy, not just in the amount of jobs, the tax it pays, but inward investment from investors that you know want to invest in the UK, but in a Sharia-compliant way. Having said that, there have been innovations or advancements in the UK finance market such as and to pull one example out funding for lending which I know is not aimed at savers but not compatible for Islamic banks so unfortunately left Islamic banks at a slight disadvantage to some of the conventional banks who were obtaining cheap funding so whilst we wouldn't ask for special favours you know one of the things that certainly our bank and the industry would like to see is a bit more of a level playing field for a uh, Islamic banks and Islamic finance in industry in general. Okay. Um, specifically relating to savers and personally, so again, I think the government's been supportive of savers over the last few years, particularly the personal savings allowance. I thought in principle was a great idea. My only concern with the personal savings allowance was that we already had quite a good tax-free brand in ISA. Yeah. And as good as the personal savings allowance is, I actually think it probably confuses or, or makes savings a little bit too complex sometimes so you get your personal savings allowance you get a promotion at work a job suddenly that re- can reduce overnight by half uh, and I, I'd rather see to be honest the personal saver allowance going but a more generous ISA regime okay so maybe an extension the two things with the ISAs an extension of the allowance but also flexibility across the balance, not just across the, uh, you know, the new subscription on the year. Okay. What, so that people can move money in, in, in and out? In and out of a nice and just make it a, 
a relatively freely. simple savings product. So it's like I say, I mean, I think the government's been a great supporter, but I just think the personal savings allowance probably it's another thing to think about when you're saving now, isn't it? And really yes. savings products should be simple, straightforward. Um, having had the ISA regime in place, and it's a brilliant brand that's been really successful, it, I'd be looking more at kind of making that a bit more generous. I'm hoping that, that, that they are going to uh, do some reform there because I think I think it needs it. I think yeah. you're right. Well, you, you, I've beaten the drum on this a bit in the in the past. I think I think ice has become more complex. Yeah. They, were, they were create. You, the word used was simple, and they were created. I, I was sadly, I'm old enough to remember the days of Peps and Tessas, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they were brought in to simplify that regime, and they've largely achieved that. Uh, but I think uh, I'd I'd agree with your thoughts. I think generally in you know more recent years the government has been very supportive of savers and introduced a number of initiatives to try and improve savers i think the the, the downside of that has been that the amount of initiatives that have been bought in have, have now muddied the water yeah, somewhat and absolutely I think, I think i think it does need some reform i i guess i'm going to get you to pin your colors to the master do you think we'll see any in this budget round i don't know because i i, I think there are probably more telling and pressing things that yeah they're trying to be resolving at the moment i think format you know changes to ice or a psa uh, down the line things i think to be honest with you yeah i i think i'd agree with you too i think uh, i think we may see some changes to the allowances i yeah uh, whether they'll be just cost of living um, or cpi based uh, increases uh, to ices and to the personal savings allowance or whether they'll be uh, more you know binary put another thousand or two thousand or five thousand on i'm not sure but i think i think probably that's the best that we can can hope for and and i think the worst worst case scenario and possibly a scenario that might play out is actually there's no change at all just leave yeah. the allowances as they are and say well, actually we'll use that as a effectively uh, the inflationary element to claw yeah. a little bit back from from those but uh, we shall find out relatively soon on, on that one i I guess talking of talking of changes to the savings market, we've obviously seen uh, a, a large number of of new banks come come in in the uh, sixteen years that, uh, that that you've been in existence for. Uh, how do you see the sort of savings landscape playing out in the the next few years? Do you think we're going to see more more new banks in the in the market, or any other significant changes that that you you see coming down the line? I think there will you know there there will be more banks without a doubt i mean there are, we all know there's lots of banks kind of sitting in the authorization list just waiting to get permission to kind of go the savings market for me is interesting you know they are meant to be relatively simple products innovation is great um but i think innovation in savings we just need to be a bit careful it's going back to previous you know savings should be simple you know whether we'll see anything truly unique in the savings market i'm not too sure I think certainly open banking is something to keep an eye out for um, over the next five years. It's in place now, starting to gain a bit of traction, but I'm not really getting the feel that many consumers are even really aware of it or taking advantage of it. I think the big game changer on that comes when and you know, a third party provider, TPP, gets more into active savings where they're kind of consumers are actually almost allowing them to kind of move savings around. I think that could be a game changer. Yeah. Um, but I'm not really seeing that at the moment. I think it's still 
kind of baby steps on the TPP side. Yeah. I think we saw uh, a lot of kind of hype around yeah. open banking, but I think those of us in the industry knew that the big banks really weren't weren't geared up for it. No. And then we saw a number of them apply for extensions. And I, I think a lot of financial commentators probably hadn't uh, appreciated the, the complexities are around in it. And, and yeah. we're almost predicting a sort of day one, we were going to see a, a kind of gold rush of new new sort mm. of shiny things come to market that would change the world whereas i think what we have seen and what we continue to see you is interesting you said uh, over the next five years i think we're kind of two years in now and i, I think i think it will be a five-year yeah. timeline before we see any real material change or consumers see any real yeah. material changes that actually significantly impact on their day-to-day uh, banking relationships it's a huge education piece because you're almost asking consumers to give access to all of their savings to one provider they may never have heard of before. I think once that kind of education piece is won, then the sky potentially is the limit for open banking what it and what it brings. But it's you know it's like we say, I think that's still some years away. You mentioned sort of third party providers there. Where there's been quite a few platforms come. We spoke to uh, Kevin Mountford at Razor. Yeah in one of the earlier shows uh, do you do you think we'll see a see a trend for for those to continue to to grow do you think they will take advantage they'll be the area that that seizes on open banking and take advantage quite potentially yes i yeah. mean the the concept i think of you know companies like raisin and so on i think is it's a great concept i probably suggest at the moment the marketplaces aren't you know they they probably need a bigger name on there to really start bringing the volume in. I might be wrong on that, of course, but but it's this sort of uh, combination between you know the technology of open banking and providers like Raisin, and you know I think those sort of providers are well placed um, to benefit from open banking. But again, it, you know there's a big education piece on what the benefit of those marketplaces for consumers. I guess we've uh, we covered quite a lot this afternoon. If you had one message to to give to to savers who ha- haven't yet given yourselves or any of the other sh- Sharia banks a try, what what would it what would it be? Well, give us a try. The the reality is what we, what we try and say. We don't pay interest, but you know the outcome's the same. We're working hard to give our savers a really good return, a really good value return, and. Certainly the feedback we get with our customers is that once they've tried us, they're more than happy to open another account with us and open multiple accounts. Um, so all I would ask people is, you know, give us a try. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we'll see more customers coming to us. Well, it's been a, a pleasure to talk to you and hopefully you've uh, lifted the veil on on Sharia banking for, for some of our, our listeners. Uh been fascinating to learn learn more and i uh i look forward to uh to having you back when you can tell us a little bit more about what you have got in the in the pipeline and we'll keep our eye out for uh for for those developments as well Uh, thanks for your time thanks mark thanks for joining us that's all for this episode Uh, thanks for listening in and look forward to hearing your your feedback as ever Mm.